I hope everyone's been well. It's been a while since the last episode, so I had to make sure that today I'm back with a serious bang. And I've got, you know, a very special guest, a guest that's quite different from my previous guest. You know, you've seen a lot of traders. I'd like to introduce Matt, the CEO of MyFundedFX. How are you doing, bro? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So now I'm hoping a lot of people that are listening do actually know who you are. I've seen my funded FX all over my timeline, all over my Discord. You know, it's a very, very active brand. It's starting to become somewhat of a household brand on my timeline. And that's very good to see. So, you know, we can start with my funded FX, the actual name, the idea. Where did all of this come from? Yeah, so um, like many prop firms out there, they originally started with someone who was um, also in the trading community or trading businesses as a whole. Um, I'm no different. I wouldn't consider myself an influencer because I'm not, uh, um, but I do have other businesses within the Forex and the options and, and the stock market industry that the original concept behind my funded FX came from trying to vertically integrate some of my business offerings. Um, so I, I have a product or a business that sells indicators and courses and teachings. Um, I also have one that sells the copy trading software for Forex brokers to use um, and individual retail traders to copy their accounts. So the whole concept of, of my funded FX was born out of the fact that I wanted to vertically integrate my businesses so I could own the, the kind of base level um, education. I could own the prop firm and the funding. And I could also own the copy trading side of it as well. So that's kind of the original um, plan behind it. Um, and so that's kind of how I started. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So you've essentially got, you know, a big hub in several different categories of our industry, of course, with the education and now with the prop firm and the other things you're doing. That's, you know, that's that's quite interesting because with a lot of the other prop firms, they seem quite mainstream. They don't really have a lot of branches. Um and I think that is a big reason why my funded FX is growing so fast. You know, you've delved into so many things. You're, you engage with your audience so much, and that's not something you really get from the other companies. So, of course, people are loving that. So you spoke about, you know, obviously a lot of people going into prop firms will have a trading background. So where does, you know, your trading journey, your trading experience start from, you know, how many years ago? So how did you get into this large industry? Absolutely. And like many, um, I being in the United States, I'm from Dallas, Texas, uh, 26 years old, soon to turn 26. Um, but I started about five years ago. And like many of us in the United States, we started out with stocks. So stocks and options were kind of my my thing in the beginning. Um, I originally was an investor in kind of mid to long term equities and ETFs and etc. So just trying to kind of learn how the whole investing community worked. Um, got into options where you were trying to be more of an active trader. Um, but like many, I was using technical analysis to kind of create um, what I my trading strategies. Now, the, the thing that got me into Forex specifically was I was more of an indices trader. Um, I didn't have a ton of money at the time. So I wanted to kind of take efficiencies and uh, economies of scale with the leverage that Forex offered. Um, so right now, I'm pretty much only a NAS and a US 30 trader. Um, so I wanted to get that leverage impact from the Forex market. So I got into Forex about three years ago. Um, didn't have too much time um, to do it full time, 
but um, I did get into it for a little bit of time. And now I kind of run the businesses and I trade on the side. Um, but for the most part, my journey started with stocks, options, and then kind of trickled into Forex. Um, and since then, that's kind of what I've stuck to. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. With, I think, a lot of the American guys on my timeline and the American traders that I know, they do all come from stocks. And I don't know why. In the UK, that's not a thing. <laughs> In the UK, you just see it. I <laughs> yep. think a big one is gold. A lot of people trade gold. And, of course, the main pairs, Euro, USD, GBP, USD, most of the time. So... Of course, you went to trading twenty six. That that is quite young. Um, of course, I didn't know your age. I thought you were going to say older. Um, but you know, of <laughs> course, you do. You do have a lot of experience in the field, as you said. In terms of like going to college and things like that, did you really pursue a career in anything else before? You know, you decided that trading is the one thing for you. Absolutely, I I did. I I graduated with a degree. Uh, my background is in technology, so information systems. Um, I graduated from a school in the United States called Texas Christian University, TCU. Um, people probably know it just from the football game that just happened in, in the United States, but outside it's probably not as known. Um, I did graduate with a degree in information technology and information systems. Um, so that's actually what originally got me into the whole trading world in general was just the technology behind like the algorithms that are associated with these large markets whether it's uh, market makers or if it's broker technology or anything of the like. And that's kind of what initially sparked my interest. Um, but that is that was my background. That still is my background. Uh, very passionate about the technology that goes into the stuff, uh, specifically within the prop firm space, because it's very sophisticated. So, Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You know, it goes really hand in hand with what you're doing now. So it does make a lot of sense that you came from that sort of sector. Um, you mentioned algorithms. I, I do see a lot of debates about this on the timeline. You know, consistently people arguing, is there algorithm or algorithms, <laughs> you know, working in the markets it is a big debate, probably one that will never end. Some people have to, you know, just agree to disagree. Right, right. Now, now that makes me think you're familiar with ICT. I have seen you mention him a few times. So is he sort of, you know, pivotal <laughs> in your journey? Did you learn from him or... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, ICT is, is I personally trade his concepts myself. Um, he's a very controversial person and it's a controversial topic. It will remain controversial for the remainder of the trading world. Um, I think of algorithms in a different sense, though. I think of if, if you're placing orders on the market, buys, sells, whatever, how does the market actually take those orders and translate it into movements on in the market? Like, the volumes that are associated with it, the price movements and, and where those orders are taking place. So you you can have, have a strategy all you want, but I'm more so interested in just the, the technology side of that. Um, I, I think ICT was a pioneer in terms of, of creating the design for retail traders to understand. So it's a lot more logical to watch his videos and learn how he's teaching things and how he sees things. Um, regardless if he invented these concepts or not, or if he programmed the algorithms, it's it's more so about how you can understand what he's talking about. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely, I, I believe in a lot of what he says. Um, I think there's some serious truth into the the, the technology that he's talking about behind uh, behind the scenes. So uh, I'm absolutely a believer. I continue to trade his, his strategies and I recommend uh, people doing it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I also do trade you know ICT smart money concepts um a lot of my own friends do I do have my own group and that is exactly what I teach in there I agree he's he's definitely a very very big pioneer 
the sort of teachings you know he brings into space there's a lot of logic and you know whatnot behind it so in regards to you know all these trading methodologies and sort of you know the way uh, the strategies people are using do you guys ever look at that for the people that sign up to your profit is there even a way to you know sort of know who's trading what because you know when somebody of course does a very high percentage in a month that sort of probably catches your eye so do you guys ever go over those trades for that person or try to understand what they were doing Absolutely. And and to be honest, that's 90% of what a prop firm is operationally speaking, right? We're, we're trying to use their data to determine whether they're a likely candidate to copy trades to be a successful trader for both themselves and for us and to cover our risk. Or if they're a person or a trader that has uh, gotten through phase one and phase two just by luck of the draw or statistics or some other form of uh, of trading and that their funded account, they're likely going to blow it. So we, we have pretty advanced algorithms and systems, and I'm not going to say it's machine learning or artificial intelligence, but it's, it's, it's monitoring programs that will identify what types of strategies you're using at some capacity, right? Like we can tell if you're a martingale trader, we can tell if you're a grid trader, we can tell if you are a over leveraged or under leveraged trader, we can tell the average risk you use. All of these factors go into us helping to determine if we trust that you are going to be a successful trader, right? Because that's a big thing. Yeah. One one misconception here is that traders, so for example, I'll give you an example. If a trader trades and makes 10 grand using the 80-20 principle split, we would make two grand, you would make eight, right? Now, if you lose, and let's say you lost based on a 10% drawdown, we would lose and be susceptible to 10 grand in losses. So the risk reward associated with copying versus not copying is heavily skewed in the in the prop traders' favor. So that's that's why we have to use these strategies to help determine like what how much we should copy you and to what extent we should as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite interesting. So in in regards to that, right? So I'm assuming initially when a prop firm is new, when you get started out, you, of course you don't have as many members, as many customers. So how long into you know sort of making my funded effects would you say you started you know picking up on other traders and starting to copy them because i guess in in essence now that you have grown that is probably a large part of your business of course like you said all this data that you're studying and looking at so how far into creating the prop firm you know did that take you absolutely that's that's a good question and the the first i would say the first portion of a prop firm's life is the most vulnerable Right, because you have this concept of economies of scale. If you have a hundred people sign up, then statistically speaking, you're less likely to align with what quote unquote the industry averages are, or the fail rates, or the pass rates, or the profit average profit payouts, etc. If you have ten thousand customers, then the statistics will likely be exactly what the industry makes it. Right now. If you have five or 10 traders that uh, at the beginning of the firm kind of blow up and make a ton of money or they blow their funded accounts and you were copying, then that makes the firm pretty susceptible to, to failure, right? So that's why you see a bunch of these firms that start with good intentions maybe that mm -hmm. make a couple bad decisions but ended up having to pull the plug because they didn't have the capital, right? Mm -hmm. Not that they were trying to scam, but maybe just because they had poor poor business decisions. So- the way we thought about it was 
we're not going to take a profit the first three months, four months, whatever it is, two months. Uh, it wasn't exactly a timeline, but we knew we weren't going to be able to predict the copy trading to the to what we were hoping to do to be able to profit, right? Now, once you get onto that three, four, five, six, seven month time frame, which what we're at right now is about seven months, is now you actually start to understand and who's consistently profitable, what strategies are profitable, who's using the right risk rewards, what kind of, of money management techniques they're using. So I, I would say up, up front, that first three, four months was a little bit of a, a learning curve um, and a very unprofitable period, but it's really an investment in the long-term business, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That does make sense. You know, with trading, it, it's, it's sort of an industry where people won't stop coming at you. And even with prop firms, I guess there's a sort of hype around them and people are always looking for the next prop <laughs> firm, the next one to yep. come out and put out better offers. And, you know, my funded FX, I've really done that. One of the big things you guys done that a lot of prop firms don't do is do giveaways. And you don't see that too often. Of course, some of them do. They have, you know, challenges and whatnot. And with with all these giveaways, was your idea behind it, you know, the sense of marketing, getting, you know, people in? Of course, I know that's a factor, but when you were doing that, right, and you're giving these accounts away, did you really, you know, go into it thinking you're going to bring a lot of people in or was it just something you were just playing around with or trying? Because I do see you guys try a lot of new things. So we get to hear, you know, what's successful, what's working for you, what's, you know, kind of actually brought you customers, what hasn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the giveaways have been a huge, huge component of our success. We really didn't start pushing them until the holiday season. Um, but there's kind of twofold. We do not do marketing, um, advertising spend on traditional platforms. We don't have Google ads. We don't have Instagram, Facebook ads like most firms. Um, we wanted to go the more kind of relational approach, right? All the influencers on Twitter were more than happy and and willing to give away accounts to their communities. It helps them because they get a following, they get reactions, they get followers, and then we also get a huge boost from the brand awareness. Now, you you kind of think about it as ad dollars, right? If I give away a $10,000 account, there's associated spend with that. Now, the truth is that accounts that are given away, the actual participant is much, much more likely to fail the account than they are if they purchased, right? And it's it's basic psychology. If you've got no skin in the game, then you're le you're more likely to take risks. Yeah. If you're more likely to take risks, especially on a uh, challenge account, then you're likely going to fail. So it's it's a low cost, low low risk, high reward way to market directly to people, and I think it's the best option uh, holistically to do. If it wasn't too cheesy, it wasn't too corny, I would do giveaways every day because instead of spending money on ad dollars trying to get people that don't care about us. I can directly communicate and work with people who do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. And, you know, the way you do set up your giveaways, of course, telling people to retweet, share, that word of mouth goes a long way. And, of course, I messaged you initially, I believe, on January the 1st, the first day of this year regarding the podcast. And just a little bit before that, we'd spoken as well. And I just remember you having, you know, a few thousand followers, maybe. I'm not sure exactly how many, maybe three, four thousand. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's literally been about three weeks. And I believe you're very close to 12K if you're not already there now. So that that growth is, you know, like very big, especially on Twitter. And on Twitter, people are very interactive. So, of course, I'm sure it goes a long way. So in terms of, you know, 
that growth that you've seen on Twitter and your social presence, have you seen a sort of equal growth in terms of your customers, the people that are actually engaging with your firm on the basis of, you know, buying accounts and trading them? Yes, absolutely. Twitter has been a direct correlation to our success and our growth the last, I would say, 60 days. Um, our Discord is now at 14,000 uh, Discord members. It, it has grown 4,000 uh, 4, in the last month. Um, our website traffic has absolutely just expanded uh, by 2x uh, based on Twitter feed and Twitter traffic. Um, now, what that's done is that spread our brand so that now we don't have to rely directly on Twitter, right? Now we have the brand recognition. We have the Discord members. And so now this traffic is starting to come from other Discord groups who have heard of us, who have recognized our very competitive rules and our, our very friendly, social, um, supportive atmosphere from our staff who is always there to help you. So Twitter has definitely provided a huge, huge, huge boost to our brand. And I think that's being carried throughout the rest of the kind of trading community. So um, we'll definitely be pushing Twitter hard, uh, but uh, other areas will we'll also be investing some some time and dollars in. Um, like YouTube, we haven't really put too much time into, but uh, that's coming up next. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Twitter, Twitter is a big one for traders. You know, Twitter is where literally all of the traders are. Um, and if you search a few catchphrases in the search bar, if you've ever done that, you know, you type in ICT, SMC, you will see tweets <laughs> yep. flowing in every second. People are trading every single session, posting charts on Twitter. You know, it's very crazy. Um, so of course this this growth is great, and it's great to see even from my perspective. You know, you guys are growing very fast, and the people seem to love you because you do engage with them a lot. Now, I know that you run the Twitter by yourself and in regards to the other social, do you do that by yourself? And this, you know, this growth that's happened, is that sort of, you know, now starting to stretch you thin? I think literally today I saw that you guys are hiring new people. So what's the whole, you know, process about the process behind handling this growth and expansion that's come in? Absolutely. And and we are growing. We have about uh, 12 employees directly associated with the business. And then we have some people that uh, work with the technology and then some kind of contracting work. But we're still on the small side, obviously. Um, and yes, I am spreading myself thin, but I'm also kind of realigning what I uh, where my time is most valuable. Right. People people want to see my thoughts. They want to see interactions. Um, they want to hear from from me directly because that builds that kind of sense of trust and that relational approach to to what we're we're doing. Um, I'm going to have to kind of transition some of my time away from the more menial tasks, obviously, which is something that it's probably going to happen regardless. Um, but we are expanding. Uh, we are looking for more support staff that are, are there to join the team. Um, but yeah, I, I do plan on sticking with the Twitter. I, I enjoy it. It's fun. Um, I love interacting with the, the rest of the trading community and the other influencers. And I, I think that's something that I'll stick to. Um, but hopefully um, the the new tasks or new uh, staff members can can pick up some of the other tasks that I'm working on. Yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned, you know, at the moment, there's 12, of course, let's say main staff in regards to bad funded effects. When, when you started out, did you start out with these initial 12 people or was it just one man with a plan? <laughs> You're just going at it. Yeah, so it's me, um, Dex, who is in the Discord. He's he's been with me in some of my other businesses since the beginning, so he's kind of like my right man, right hand man, go to guy. Um, he helps me run things. He started out with myself, and then two other individuals. So it was four of us at the beginning. 
Um, but obviously, if you're a small prop firm with a very little footprint and very little to do's, then it, it's easy to run like that. But we quickly realized we needed to expand. Um, and then with every kind of next level of growth and new engagement, new reach, new brand awareness, we kind of have to add members. Um, I think we do have a little bit more ticket um, and support inquiries based on our lack of automation in the back end. Um, but that will be solved in the next couple of weeks when we're rolling out some more automation initiatives for account reviews, document reviews, stuff like that to make it a whole uh, streamlined process for customers so they don't have to actually reach out to us for everything. Yeah, definitely. That would that would make it, you know your lives easier and easier for the customers as well. I think that is you know a big thing with you guys coming into the market and in a way you're still relatively new and now you have a footprint. But you know, people always have this sort of stigma around a new prop firm, which I think is very valid. You know, there are definitely prop firms that have just gone into the ground. They've come, they come for a month, then they've gone. So I guess that that kind of takes us back a few steps, right? And if we talk about when you started out the prop firm and you have that, you know, sort of lack of engagement, what what were you guys doing to try and get people in? Because it's very hard to, you know, build trust. People are investing their money into accounts. They're probably very scared. They're not going to receive a payout. They've heard a story on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, wherever someone bought this prop firm and now they've not paid out. You've just lost X, Y, Z. So how did you guys kind of go about that, trying to initially bring customers in and getting them to trust you? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. I, I want to start by saying that, yeah, there's a ton of prop firms that start and, and leave for a variety of reasons, whether malicious or not malicious. And the reason that is, is because it's very easy to get a decent sum of capital through sales, especially if you're an influencer, right? If you have an, a big Instagram following, you can start a prop firm with using a technology provider, drive sales to your prop firm, make 50 grand and then leave. So those kind of situations have created this stigma, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, lies, truths, et cetera. So that's why people are concerned. So the, the approach that we took was try to be as transparent and open as possible. Um, we wanted people to know who the owner was. We wanted people to know where we were based. We wanted people to see me, my face on videos. We wanted the legal documentation for our registered licenses associated with the business to be uh, easily accessible. We wanted to be transparent about uh, A book versus B book versus statistics. So if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll actually see videos of me walking through our past fail rates and reasons for failure. So you can actually see how we operate um, as a firm. You can also see our a video about our backend technology where I show how we copy trade. Uh, what are the criteria we use to copy trade? Um, stuff like that. So our, our approach was to be literally as transparent as humanly possible. All of these stigmas and the quote unquote kind of falsehoods of the prop firm industry, we were open about them. Um, and I think that honesty and that transparency, whether it hurt the industry as a whole, was really what kind of pushed us above a lot of our competition who was also starting out because they knew they knew who we were. They knew we were open. They knew we like did everything by the book. And so I think that's really what pushed us um, as fast as it did in the first four or five months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That that transparency is a big thing. I have seen you say previously, um, when someone or, you know, a few people find out that you're running the socials yourself, they went and called it a scam. For some reason, they thought that the CEO <laughs> can't be running the Twitter and the Discord and whatnot. You know, I, I, I sort of understand. Um, I guess conventionally, people won't look at that as 
let's say you know quote unquote um professional because it's not something you see you know like you said there's no one else out there doing that but someone has to do it first for it to you know sort of become a thing and you've kind of been that first person so i agree it's probably taken people a little bit of time to warm to it but people are most definitely warming to it now and like you said you know your engagement with the twitter followers is is a prime example so in terms of you know transparency and stuff you mentioned the back end and just the FYI for anyone listening, I will link Matt's YouTube channel below if you're listening on YouTube so you guys can go check out everything he's mentioned. But the back end and the brokers and stuff like that, if we if we speak about that, I've seen recently you got a new broker. So what was the sort of decision behind that? Why was there a broker change needed? You know, how does that process work? Because I feel like a lot of people in the space probably hear that, but they don't understand what's actually happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. Brokers. So there's two there's two types of firms. There's the firm that has their own in-house license. That would be like an E8 funding or an FTMO or a MyForex funds. They have their own broker license, right? They have their own MT4, MT5 license. Then there's firms like myself, like the Funded Trader, um, Funded Next, all of those. They use a third-party brokerage, like an 8CAP or an IC Markets or something like that. Um, the people who create and control their own brokerage, they have more flexibility. They have more control over certain things like spreads, leverage, um, asset control, tickers, stuff like that. Whereas myself and anyone who uses a third party has a little bit less control, right? With the foreign exchange clearinghouse, that's my current brokerage offering. Offering They do not have MT5. So that is a big um, kind of thing that we wanted. Um, the other thing is they don't have stable spreads like other brokers in the sense that you can't have a fixed spread it's all floating that's something we want to um, ultimately create is is more stability in the spreads um, we also want to create more stability around times when there's high volatility so like news events um, our current brokerage providing was just not meeting the mark in working with us on fixing some of those things so we've switched our liquidity providers for that brokerage but it just really wasn't meeting the mark so now what's going to change is we will be switching over to ACAP. They'll be providing our MT4 and MT5 accounts for all of our customers. And what that means for a customer is not much. It just means you'll likely get better trading conditions. You'll get better spreads. You'll get hopefully better fills, lower slippage, stuff like that. Uh, what it means for us is now our monitoring, our technology and our infrastructure is going to hook up to an ACAP MT4, MT5 manager terminal. So that now we can create accounts, we can monitor the accounts, we can uh, breach the accounts and send emails. So not a lot's going to change on the customer side, except for the trading conditions themselves. Um, but the broker, ultimately, we just had to change to to meet our future roadmap of what we're looking to do here. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Um, definitely, you know, having or not having MetaTrader Five is definitely a big thing. It's a large platform. I'm sure, a lot of people use that. So. You've mentioned now your sort of roadmap, let's say, and the things you have planned, right? So before we talk about what you want to do in the future, the first question I have for you is when you initially made my founded FX, and as you mentioned, it's been about, you know, seven, eight months since you kind of, I guess, got into it properly. Did you sort of imagine that you'd be here now growing as fast as you are or, you know, hitting certain milestones that you've probably hit on the way? Or did you think you'd be further maybe? 
Absolutely. And and I think I didn't know and uh, as much as I did now, like starting out as a prop firm, I knew a good amount just on research, talking to people, um, experience in the industry myself, but I didn't truly know the intricacies of running a prop firm in this industry in this time. It's, it's, we could have a five hour discussion on, on a prop firm politics and logistics and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, ultimately a prop firm is kind of a conglomerate of certain things, technology and uh, funding and capital, et cetera, stuff like that. I think the biggest thing I didn't realize is truly how big the prop firm uh, kind of like the whole pie, right? Just based on our revenue numbers, our copying numbers, and then some of the big guys out there, like the FTMOs, the MyForex funds, um, the prop firm revenue on a yearly basis has to be 700 million up. Uh, plus, um, that's just based on my chicken scratch math, um, using a variety of things, but I truly didn't comprehend how big the prop firm industry was. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway here. I think we grew um, pretty slowly in the beginning, like most firms do, but I did not expect to see such growth, um, kind of the trajectory of growth so quickly um, after that a first initial hump. So hopefully that answers that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's probably a similar route for all the others. And I guess the way I can imagine it working is once you have a few people getting payouts, sharing those payouts, telling other people, other people become interested. And especially with, you know, the way you run your socials and you do the giveaways and whatnot, this, you know, when it rains, it pours sort of scenario. So I guess it's just going to be good. So 700 million is actually an insane number. That's probably not what I was thinking in my head if you asked me that um with that number you know most definitely I think it will grow the whole concept of prop firms you know although a lot of people do lose in the trading industry it's just how it is but for the people that you know are seriously at it and they're going to be profitable down the line prop firms are, are a game changer because like you said even you switching initially when you were you know trading before you had your prop firm going from indices and whatnot against forex to have that leverage prop firms in a way are a leverage as well because you know you're paying a small amount to have a very large amount of capital and that allows people to do a lot for some people it is life-changing you know, change your life in a whole year um you're familiar with paladin oh yeah and, and i believe um i've seen one of his tweets where he says um at the start of the year he bought an account and had a few hundred dollars in his bank account and he's finished the year with a certain amount of funding and I'm sure you've seen his difficulties you know he's he's absolutely smashed it so it is great so when you know you created this prop firm what was your sort of you know thinking behind it was was it purely you know this is in in essence a monopoly and you know a money farm because if you know being transparent being honest a lot of people do lose so initially for a prop firm, there's a lot of profit to make until, you know, a big trader might come in and request large payouts. But even in that, there's profit for you to make if they prove their consistency. So what was your thought process of, you know, initially creating it? <laughs> that's that's a great question. And I think um, before you come into the prop firm industry or even know what a prop firm is, uh, like the modern day prop firm, right? The old version of a prop firm firm would essentially be an application process and a training process, uh, kind of like a hedge fund, where you would practice and prove that you could manage money and trade money 
successfully, but you wouldn't be paying the entry fees, right? You would be practicing, you would have an interview, you would have a six months training program. And then at the end, they would allow you to trade their capital. So that's kind of the old modern, the old structure of what a prop firm is. The new structure is a bit different and it's, it's similar, but it requires a fee um, and anyone can do it. Anyone can apply. Now, what where I think about it is the Forex brokerage industry is nearly identical to the prop firm industry, except for one thing. If you go to a Forex broker, which 90% of them are B-book Forex brokers, meaning they are trading against you. If you lose, they win. If you win, they lose. So there's a conflict of interest there, obviously, um, just like there is with prop firms to some extent. But it's the same exact model in the sense where you are trading with your money. If you lose it, they get the money. It's almost identical to a prop firm to some extent, unless you are a funded trader, right? If you are in a challenge or a verification phase, you fail, the prop firm gets the money. Uh, a little bit different in the funded stage, depending on if you're copied or not. But what I always tell people is that the you're much better off going to a prop firm because you have you could try 10 times and lose the amount of money you would lose in a traditional Forex brokerage, right? It is so easy to go. Like for me, for example, I traded an offshore B-book Forex broker called Hugo's Way. Now, I loved Hugo's Way. Um, when I first was starting out, I lost a ton of money. Um, then I started to kind of build a, a nest egg in, in my Hugo's Way account. I noticed trading started to get a little bit harder. The conditions got worse. The slippage got worse, et cetera, because they're a B-book Forex broker. Yeah. Now, the reason you would go to a prop firm is because you get less, it's less risk for similar capital, even if you fail a number of different times. So it's just a alternative to the Forex broker that that's why I think the industry is growing so well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's interesting because, you know, of course there's, a lot of new people coming into trading now, especially, you know, this, if they do truly understand the idea of, you know, funding from prop firms, it's quite attractive and, you know, they'll never get to experience these, in a way, these old brokers, Um, you know, do you, do you think prop firms could, in a way, I don't know, let's say wash them out, you know, push them out of the game or take over? Because, of course, you said 700 million in revenue, of course, that is a very large amount. But compared to, you know, all the Forex brokers, the stock brokers and whatnot, it's still probably a much smaller piece of the pie. So where do you, you know, sort of see this industry going? I truly do think that the prop firm industry will overtake a large portion of the unregulated B-book brokerages. Um, obviously, like the, the U.S.-based or the Japan-based, the all fully regulated market liquidity, bank, um, institutional, all that stuff, that'll be fine. There's always going to be banks that are trading on, on actual brokerages. But if you're a retail trader looking to go to an offshore brokerage or just a higher leverage 500 to one brokerage, I think that ultimately that business, and I think it's currently happening right now, is they're switching to prop firms. There's so many people out there trading on those brokerages that are kind of realizing that the prop firm model is so much better to A, practice on, but also B, potentially risk a smaller amount of money for a larger return. So I, I do think that the the large retail institutional that are actually doing the market moving will stay and they'll be fine. Uh, but those offshore banks, those offshore brokerages are kind of losing audiences to prop firms and they have been for a while. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a win-win situation for the customers and the prop firms in this scenario. 
because as I mentioned before, it's a sense of leverage. You know, you're paying a small amount, you're getting a large amount of capital to trade. So of course, that's the future of the industry. Now, talking about the future of my funded FX in specific, right? Of course, I, I personally think, right, you know, you've started to make this big dent in the market and in, this dent might not be, you know, very visible to everyone, but I believe it started. And currently, I believe, you know, when people talk about prop firms, the big names that come to mind, the top three, at least for me, the people around me are funded by are my Forex funds, FTMO and TFF. So do you sort of, you know, have a plan to compete with them to grow to their size? You know, is, is there thought behind it or is it sort of, you know, just go with the flow and keep growing and you'll kind of just get there one day? Absolutely. And and there's there's several different aspects to that. I think of the big five instead of the big three, but that's just my thing. I do FTMO, my Forex funds, uh, true Forex funds, E8, and then the funded trader. I think those five are easily the undisputable top five for market share and for, for product offering and yeah. just overall size. Now, I think we're kind of on the fringe of the next group, uh, which would be like the next seven or so. There's kind of a, it kind of like a tiered structure in the prop firm industry. Now, I don't, I don't think more so about like, how can I compete against them? Like, how can I knock them off their pedestal? How can I take their market share? I think about how do I provide something that's a little bit unique, right? There's, there's like, you know, there's rules associated with a prop firm that are very non-transferable right? It's, there's certain structures to programs that you have to have. So if you're in a two-step program, you're going to have to have daily and max drawdown unless you sacrifice other, elsewhere. You're going to have to have a profit target. You're going to have to have like these certain stipulations and rules that create what a prop firm structure is. So instead of thinking about how can I get to where those guys are, because our rules are going to be similar, right? Um, it's how can I provide a unique experience, a unique product offering, uh, a unique process. Um, yeah. At the same time, there's going to be a point where you are likely going to be funded with multiple account multiple providers, right? The reason we have a max capital allocation is so we don't have one person or five people that control $10 million worth of capital, because if they lose and we lose, that's a huge hit, right? There's a limit for a reason because it reduces our risk. So I, I highly recommend people going to those firms um, get funded with them, get funded with us. If you are looking for alternative options to get funded, there's plenty of options out there. Now, the last point here is that every firm has a kind of target audience for traders, right? The firms with larger time to pay out are looking for someone who is probably more experienced, doesn't really mind the no minimum days kind of thing. Whereas the firms with no minimum days are really just looking for anyone that's looking for the quickest payout option, right? There's there's different desires that each firm is addressing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, sort of catering to different personalities of traders. In yes, a way. absolutely. Different trading styles, different personalities, um, different countries as well. Like you'll notice that we have a $5,000 account option. So a lot of our audience is actually from uh, Africa or Southeast Asia because the US dollar or the Euro is very different to them. So they're looking for a smaller, cheaper option. So each firm kind of has their niche for what who they're targeting and how they're targeting those people. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. So in, in regards to you know, account sizes, do you guys you know plan to make bigger accounts or smaller accounts in the future? Because I understand five thousand. Well, 
in in a trading sense we can say it's small of course it's not small to everyone but do you plan to make any smaller accounts than that or is it more of you know let's say in a way a headache and just not worth your time or you know <laughs> yep absolutely no we we do not plan on offering anything less than five thousand not because it's a headache it's because it's a, a cost thing right each each account type or each account purchase has costs associated with it right you got to pay the broker you got to pay the monitoring and the tech fees the payment processing so a percentage or a fixed fee of fifty dollars is much more than a fixed fee of nine hundred dollars if that makes sense so it's more about just the business side of it. Anything below that five that five k mark it just becomes unsustainable and really unprofitable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, of course, that's that's the account sizes and everything done. So, in terms of the future, as I mentioned before, for my funded FX in specific, right? In terms of you know social growth, let's say members, if we if we're talking actual numbers and stats now is this sort of you know milestone that you've marked out you want this amount of traders you know trading blow you maybe a sort of goal you set when you started the firm or a few months ago is there anything of course any milestones you've already hit or any milestones you're expecting to hit soon yeah i think for a firm the the biggest milestones are going to be the the amount of payouts right uh biggest milestone for a firm our size is getting to that million dollar market payouts and, and we're pretty close to that um, so I think we'll hit that quickly. Um, after that, I think our payout trajectory is pretty is expanding pretty aggressively. So I'm hoping to do 10 million in payouts in 2023. Um, I think that's realistic. It's achievable. Um, as far as other statistics, I don't really think about it too much. Um, obviously, I would love to have a million followers on Twitter, but uh, whether that's <laughs> realistic or not is a different story. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, so. I do see you tweeting about, you know, all these small facts and figures all the time. That's, that is very interesting <laughs> to see. I know other firms do sometimes give a sort of outlook, you know, a certain amount of traders make it past phase one and often a certain amount make it phase two and whatnot. So is there anything interesting, you know, you can tell the audience today, something that maybe people don't expect? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a little bit of a misconception and I'm not sure if I'm just ignorant to the fact, um, but the my Forex funds, the FTMOs, a lot of these firms will kind of float around these pass fail statistics uh, associated with their firms of, of like 10% for phase one, 20% uh, for phase two, and then like 7% for phase three. And I'm not sure if that's um, maybe a marketing thing or whatnot, but our, our statistics are nowhere even close to that. Right. Um, each each account size associated with our firm has different pass rates, obviously, and there's one yeah. average. So we don't think about too much of the average pass rate because they're so different. Yeah. Um, like the 5K account, for example, has by far the worst pass rate of any of our accounts because mm -hmm. it's skin in the game. You have low skin in the game, low risk. So you're just going to go all in and you're likely going to lose. Now, on contrary, our 200K account has the highest pass rate. So you have more risk, the more experienced traders are using the 200K accounts. So that's something you kind of have to factor in when you're planning out your cash flow and your risk management kind of practices. Um, but our pass rates are much, much higher than what we are seeing other firms release or some firms release in the industry. And so I think there's a maybe a disconnect or maybe a statistical anomaly, maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that surprised me. Yeah, I think... As you mentioned before, you know, as you do get more members, 
the actual stats and the results will start to average out and you know maybe who knows the results will come down and start matching the other firms but if they don't that is very interesting you know um of course basic psychology what you says makes what you said makes a lot of sense right the biggest account that's going to be people who are confident in their trading potentially have passed on other right. accounts and then come to you know the bigger accounts so it makes a lot of sense for them to go for those large 200k accounts and then to go ahead and pass them um today i saw you tweet something very interesting and this you know it's not something that i pay thought to but it is interesting <laughs> you said that women are much better traders than men so what's what's the whole story behind that what sort of figures and facts made you say that yeah so it's um some of the data we've been digging into and and when, when someone signs up we don't ask for gender or anything so it's kind of a an assumed uh, research or study that we're trying to do just to get a better picture of what strategies are working, who's doing better, if there's a country anomaly, right? So we we look at what countries are trading better than others. Um, so that's kind of an interesting study that we're trying to look into. That, that tweet came from the fact that although women represent a much smaller portion of our traders, um, I think it's only 10% versus a 90% male audience, roughly, based on our sample size, they, rep they have a... 2x pass rate um, compared to our male traders. And I'm not sure if that's because um, female traders are just have more mild manner, if it's a behavioral thing, if it's uh, simply a risk thing. But just from my personal experiences uh, with having two sisters is I, I believe it, right? Guys, guys have temper issues. They have uh, emotional things where they might do something that they shouldn't. And I think that translates directly to trading. Whereas a female trader might might handle things a little bit better, a little bit more different, uh, calmer under pressure type thing. So th that tweet just came from the fact that we are seeing a 2x pass rate average versus men, but a much smaller sample size, if that makes sense. Yeah. 2x is kind of crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, it is, it know, is crazy. Better, Very it? surprising. Yeah. Um, I guess so in, in a way, you know, let's say that stereotype of men sort of having pride and ego in a way right i think that does transfer to the markets of course not in that same sense but you know maybe a lot of people are are out there revenge trading you know some people can't really stomach their losses so they're just going back at it trying to make it back you know it's that constant cycle i'm sure everyone listening has been there at some point you know when you're starting out it's a very vicious cycle to go through yep. Absolutely. so you mentioned you mentioned the country so with that data you know, is there is there anything interesting that's come up so far? Is there any countries that are doing much better than other countries? Um, so we haven't gotten through the pass rates too much um, to to fully answer that question. Um, one thing that we do have discovered is that countries are very segmented in what they are trading. Um, without having the data in front of me, I can I can recall that uh, certain countries would trade like eighty percent of their traders would be heavily involved in gold or a certain country would be 80% NASDAQ or 80% uh, GU or something like that. And so it was it was a bit surprising to me, and I'm not sure if it was because the group of people all came from the same place, or if it's just kind of like the example earlier, in the US we grew up trading stocks, but maybe in New Zealand they grew up trading oil. So it's, it's very, there's so much behavioral um, activity and behavioral data associated with prop firms, you could really dig into anything. Um, but that's something I just found interesting is that each kind of country has their own pass rates as well as their own like most profitable asset. Um, and they're all different. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. 
So with with all this data that you collect and you know you put together, is there a sort of purpose behind this, or you know are you are you in a way just doing it for fun because it's interesting? Because it is definitely very interesting. But does this data you know sort of go anywhere into helping the growth of the business or you know anything along those lines? Absolutely, and um, data is is a huge, huge, huge portion of a prop firm business. Every decision that we make in any firm that should be making is data driven. Right. For example, if you're changing a rule, you need to know prior to that rule change, how is that going to impact your pass rates, your copy trading, your risk, um, your potential payouts, all of these kind of go into the cash flow of a business. So data controls that process. So, for example, if your average days to failure is a certain number, like super low, like your average days to failure is three days, four days then maybe removing a rule associated with minimum trading time is really not going to do anything, right? Because people are failing either way. That's just an example. If there's um, like people have free retries, right? Like we used to have free retries before we changed the rule to no uh, unlimited trading time. And in reality, we were only seeing about 1%, 2% of people actually uh, getting to that retry stage. So for us, it was just almost a no-brainer to just let people do the unlimited trading time. We might have a slight change in our pass rate, but really nobody was getting to that point. If you were going to fail, you were going to fail in probably six to seven days. If you were going to pass, you were going to pass in probably nine to 12 days. So those those statistics help drive the decisions we're looking for, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So with, you know, the sort of, let's say consistent figures that show where people are pass or passing or failing, brother. How, you know, do you intend to, you know, sort of tell people, help people with it in a way? So I guess what I'm asking here is right, you you know, looking at all the data where all these traders are failing. So what are of course you mentioned the time aspect of, you know, four, five, six days, people are rushing it. Where are people failing? You know, are they over leveraging? Are they trading news? Um, news, of course, is a big factor. A lot of people, I guess, in a way, gamble on news. You know, they wait for the drop of CPI, NFP, or whatever. And you know, most of them, people are probably getting eaten by slippage. So, you know, yep. how how is that working in the background? Um, where are people failing? What sort of advice would you give them if they, you know, really want to pass? What do they need to change? Absolutely. That's that's a great question. And I see time and time again, the two main strategies that are failing the most accounts. Um, the first one is, like you said, there's news traders. This can be an earnings event. This could be CPI, FOMC, NFP. It could be uh, British gas prices. It could be anything. And people just assume that they can predict it. And if they don't, they lost a challenge. If they do, then they maybe gain 10 grand. Now, it's it's easier said than done because there's likely uh, an initial move that creates a, a trap or a failure in most cases. So your stop loss gets hit, slippage takes you out, spreads get you, and these are all things that brokers create to reduce their risk. But they, they just think that the risk reward is better if they can just trade news, and 90% of the time, they're just going to fail. The other major one is people who choose to trade with an average down strategy. Now, it can be, you can call it martingale, you can call it basketing, you can call it anything you want. Now, successfully implementing this is a different story, but 90% of the population that does a average down strategy is simply just taking a sell position into a bullish trend, keep selling, keep selling, keep selling. And by the time it reverses, the drawdown limit already took them out. 
Now that that by far, far and above is the most reason for failure is people uh, trading a trend reversal, trying to catch the top or the bottom and then averaging down and just get taken out by the uh, drawdown limits. So yeah. it's that one's number one by far. And then the second would be the news trading. Mm. Unfortunately, most of us retail traders don't have pockets as deep as spot money. So we can't hedge <laughs> against the trade. Um, yes. But I guess, you know, having been there myself as a beginner, when you sort of trade, there's a lot of, you know, like wishy-washy sort of belief behind it. You sort of just believe the trend is going to reverse it. It's going to happen. You start to convince yourself. I feel like a lot of people probably do fall into that trap. Regarding, you know, stop losses, that sort of stuff in terms of people's like risk management, do you see a lot of trades getting set without stop losses? Because, you know, to me personally, that's that's a must. But I do know, I do see some people, you know, they set trades with no stop losses. And to me, that just makes no sense. Absolutely. And we, we do see, I think last time I checked, it was about 75% of the traders use a, do not have a stop loss. Now, I'm not sure whether or not they have one at any point in the trade, but they did not, they closed the trade without a stop loss. So um, I do think a portion of that is people use a mental stop loss by a market order um, because they think they'll get slipped or, or something like that. Uh, but I do think most people don't use a stop loss because they trade the average down kind of strategy. Now, most successful traders that we see use a kind of three to one, four to one risk reward ratio of like a 0.5 to 1% risk. That's where I think the sweet spot is. Whether you want to average down at 0.25 and do another 0.25 trade, that's fine. But you got to have that risk management practice and principle to know when to get out. The hardest part with that, obviously, is when you get out and then it reverses into your favor. And that's just kind of creates a bad mentality. Um, but most most of the traders that do fail are trading without a stop loss. Um, so that's something that retail in general needs to work on. Yeah, seventy five percent is you know it's a very very high figure, and then knowing that even of the twenty five percent that use them, you know some may not be using them correctly because, from my experience, a lot of the retail indicators that provide stop losses, the stop losses usually aren't at a point of invalidation. So, mm -hmm. well, it depends how you trade, right? It is all perspective, but I think people kind of sometimes set themselves up for failure putting stop losses in place. Another big one. You know, I'm not sure if the data will show it is probably moving stop losses. I know I used to do that at some point and I've <laughs> seen other people do it. So it's, <clears throat> it's, yeah, I, th I think, you know, with, with people and prop firms, there is that excitement in a way. Okay. I'm putting in a little bit of money. If I pass this, if I get my first payout, you know, it's going to be amazing. So in terms of, you know, let's say repeat customers, people that come and then repeatedly fail do you, is that a usual trend is there people you know failing a certain amount of accounts before they pass or are the sort of people that pass just passing just naturally it's just happening you know they don't really have too many failed accounts do you have any stats behind that um no specific stats um i will say that we do have um a group of people obviously like most firms that purchase just astronomical amounts of count of accounts right it could be 5ks it could be 10ks 25ks but they kind of use the law of, okay, eventually I'm going to get a payout. So they might purchase 30 accounts, but they might get three payouts. Now, whether or not that covers the full cost of their fees is, is yet to be seen, most likely not. Usually the group of traders that succeeds the most are the ones who maybe purchase two or three accounts per payout. 
So they'll purchase three 100K accounts for three grand, but they'll end up getting a first payout of 10 grand. Now they might get another payout of 10 grand. So they're up 20 and they paid three. So most traders do not successfully get to a payout on their first challenge. Now, unless they've done them somewhere else um, before they went with us, but most traders do not. So the best ones that we've seen that have been the most successful will kind of have like, it's almost like a risk reward strategy for trading, but also for account purchases. So they've got like a three, three account risk and a two payout reward kind of thing. If that makes sense. I know it's a weird way to put it, but it, that's, it's what we see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's good for people to hear this because like she said, you know, before we even start recording, people have these big misconceptions about how things work and they probably have this idea, you know, if you keep failing, eventually you're going to win. But in reality, the way it is, the people that are winning are probably very, you know, methodical, logical, and they have a system that allows them to win and do it consistently and repeatedly. So out of out of curiosity, right, before you created MyFunded FX, were you funded with other prop firms or had you, you know, even tried? Absolutely. I've, I've tried most um, of the large ones. Um, before my funded FX, that was kind of created my initial interest. Obviously, I was very intrigued by this whole concept of getting funded. Didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at first. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely been funded with, with quite a few. I have my own preferences. Um, I, I mean, I, I think they're some great companies out there and great offerings great services etc um so yeah I, I definitely tried them out myself just to see kind of what the market was looking like what was the the offering um how do they treat their customers what was the rumors the pros and the cons actually true and i kind of incorporated that into my own my own firm to see um how we could kind of take the the pros but get rid of the, some of the cons maybe yeah that makes a lot of sense so now you know now that you are a bit of an established firm are you by any chance in contact with you know the owners or the ceos of some of the <laughs> other firms yeah I, th I think it's kind of like a status thing right like if you're in the big boys league if you're in the major leagues then you can maybe talk to each other uh like if ftmo and my forex funds wanted to communicate or like e8 or something i'm, I'm probably in the minor leagues um and then there's maybe a league or two below me it just depends on how you look at it um, but yes, to, to answer your question, we do communicate. Um, I have a, several firms that I work with on a regular basis. Um, most of that work we do together is to identify fraudulent behavior, whether it's chargeback fraud, whether it's um, reverse trading multiple prop firm accounts. Yeah. So like taking a buy in our firm and taking a sell in, in the funded trader kind of thing. Yeah. So that's something we look out for. We're constantly reviewing and, and helping each other. Although we are competitors, Ultimately, we are trying to establish an industry that has best practices, that follows the rules, um, but also looks out for each other. So there, there are quite a few prop firms that work together. I can't really speak on which, and I don't know others who work together, but it's just my personal experience. Um, and, it, and it's been very helpful, like helping out with issues, concerns, partners to work with for payments or anything like that. It's really, yeah. it's kind of like a community. So it's been, it's been yeah. great. Yeah, that's good to hear. So is 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 the fraud and you know that reverse trading, that's that's actually the first time I've heard about that. Now now that you mentioned it, it is a bit of an interesting idea. Is that a big issue or is it just you know something that happens here and then and you guys pick up on it? Yeah, so fraud, chargeback fraud is is obviously there at every firm. And it's it's for those who don't know it, it's basically when someone purchases an account and then they fail or they don't like the service, which is usually because they failed. 
they will tell their credit card company that someone stole their card and purchased the account for them. And it's not actually a purchase they made. That is chargeback fraud, right? Because you did purchase it, but you are committing fraud by saying I didn't. Um, now that cost gets passed on to the business. So we have to cover that cost, um, even though you use the service. So that's why it's kind of a, an issue financially speaking. Um, it is an issue, but it's not like a huge issue. It's just something firms have to deal with. Um, and we're constantly looking at reasons for how we can pre-identify fraud, like actual stolen cards or people who have a history of chargeback fraud, stuff like that. Now, the other one, which is probably more of an issue, is grid trading or reverse trading to prop firm accounts. So, for example, if I'm at the funded trader or if I'm at E8, and I, I have a, a funded account and I'm taking buys on CPI, right? It's not against the rules to take a buy and I'm one-sided trading the news. And then I go to my funded FX and I have an account and I take a sell. Now, if CPI is moving 500 points and you're going to win one of those, you might lose your funded account on the other side, but you might make $50,000 or something crazy on the other account. So that's that's what we're starting to see in the market is people are trying to game the system and, and use groups of people in specific countries, mostly that are trying to game the system enough where it doesn't matter if they win or lose as long as they win in one of their accounts, if that makes sense. So that's that's something we constantly have to deal with and look out for um, and, and try to prevent as much as we can. Yeah, that's, you know, it's a bit of a hassle, but I guess the people that are pulling that off, very, very smart to, you know, kind of think of that, I guess. Um, not great. <laughs> it is smart. People people think of a lot of things. If you give them enough time and resources and and <laughs> they'll they'll find a way to do something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure for some people it has worked in their favor, but you know, stuff like this, if you guys are cracking down on it, you know, it probably won't last around for, last around, you know, for a long time. And eventually you probably will stop most of it, which is good. So, you know, to sort of wrap up this podcast slash interview today, I just wanted to ask you if you have, you know, any general advice for the traders out there. You know, you yourself, you are and have been trading for a while now you own a prop firm so you're seeing this trading industry from a very very different you know sort of bird's eye view angle so is there any big you know last advice that you'd leave to all the traders that are tuning in to us today absolutely and i i think the the biggest thing is is prop firms are a good resource they're a good training resource um i would find a firm that fits your style whether you are a 0.1 percent risk reward, um, go for a firm that has limited trading days. If you want to, uh, no trading days and you want a one to 10 risk reward, then go for a firm that offers that. Um, go for a firm that has consistency rules, but maybe it's cheaper and you're fine with those consistency rules, then go with that. Each firm kind of has their niche that they're looking for and your trading style likely fits in better with one of the firms based on the rules that they offer. Um, the other thing is I would recommend starting with the, the smallest accounts possible. Like our 5K account, although the, the past fail rates are very bad, it's a stepping stone to learn and practice how you can actually behave with a funded account. Um, so a lot of the time we see people go straight for the biggest account, the 100K, the 200K, the 300K. They don't have trading history or background. They don't have the knowledge or the, or the experience. And that's just not something we recommend. If you really want to be a successful trader, trade demo, then go into the smallest prop firm account possible. Find the prop firm that fits your trading style um, and then just keep trying, right? Um, you can trade a, an actual brokerage and, and lose $10,000.
or you can go to a prop firm and fail 50 accounts. But during that 50 accounts, you pro I'm hoping you've got a few payouts. Um, so that's kind of the whole uh, thought process that I have. Yep. I hope, I hope people appreciate that advice. Um, it's very big advice coming from someone that actually owns a prop firm. So people definitely should be listening. Um, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. This was a very insightful podcast, um, very different to my usual guests, as I mentioned at the start. And I'm pretty sure everyone listening has learned something new. I definitely have. Um, for everyone listening, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, you know, the usual. I will leave all of Matt's links in the description on YouTube, including his Twitter and his YouTube. So make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and go subscribe to his YouTube as well. And like I said, I hope you guys have learned a lot today, just like I have. And I'd just like to thank you once again, Matt, for jumping on today. Yep. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hope you have a good day. That is it for you today, too. folks.